I don't even care what it's for. If you're here to kick his ass, I know he's. I know he deserves it. <laughs> he deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me call the neighbors. They probably want to get in on this too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the dog. Get the dog in here. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast, your weekly adventure into the fun and fascinating world of Star Trek, the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and fellow Star Trek fan, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, how are you doing this evening? A little better than yesterday, or every day is getting a little bit better. How about you? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. It's it's good that that's the trajectory. Yeah, well, that's that's the idea, isn't it? One day builds on another, and, you know, just life just gets better and better all the time. Yeah, and I'm sure that's the case for somebody out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm doing great as well. Beautiful fall day in Walla Walla today. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, we got a little uh, chill today, but we've had just beautiful weather regardless. I mean, this weekend we got into the 70s, and it's just marvelous weather. And great sleeping weather, too. You know, I mean, getting down in the 40s at night. Yeah. Everything else is moving along. As, as planned. So getting ready to uh, get to the holidays. And Dan, after this episode, we only have one episode left for season two. That's right. This is the penultimate episode. The penthouse episode? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a female character in here. I'm not sure she was in penthouse, but... This is exciting for me. I can't believe we we made it through. Well, we haven't done it yet, but we're going to make it through two seasons. Yeah, exciting and uh, pretty much a relief, Dana, because it means that we're one episode closer to being done with this monstrosity. I mean, I mean, we're uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a milestone. <laughs> Dan, last week we uh, talked about the ultimate computer mm -hmm. and we got several comments regarding this episode. So why don't we dive into those? Yeah, let's do it. Our friend Mark Haley said, there is something I have never really understood about this episode. The M5 computer was an utter failure resulting in the damage to two Constitution class starships and the deaths of several hundred Starfleet officers. Yeah, probably almost 500, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, Dr. Daystrom goes mad at the end of the episode and yet in star trek the next generation there's the daystrom institute named after dr richard daystrom says i guess starfleet forgot about all those memorial services at the institute's ribbon cutting ceremony although however the nobel prize that gets awarded every year in various categories and the no nobel peace prize as well that guy invented dynamite look at how many millions of people that ended up killing right yeah so it's funny I was, I was thinking the same thing uh, our friend Ryan Whiteside said, love this episode. And once again, the podcast is fantastic. We need to send him more money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you guys need to have a count on how many times an episode ends with Spock insulting McCoy. Yeah. Our very good friend, Pam McClung, says people have been concerned about computers and machinery before that, taking jobs away from human workers, starting back in the industrial age and the Victorian era. That's an excellent point. Yeah. And with AI, we are all getting concerned again. When will the computers eventually become HAL and turn on us? There's, this seems to be a very common sci-fi theme. Stephen Taylor says multiple starships <laughs> equals multiple orgasms. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if he meant to like the destruction of the starships or just having more starships in the in the episode, but it, he seemed to like it. So. Huh. <laughs> Our friend Victor Roots says, great episode, way ahead of it at the time, and I believe it had the most fatalities of Starfleet crew members. And then he put in quotes, this unit must die. Uh, William Kroll said, uh, Scotty's no dope. He didn't get his age wearing a red shirt without knowing how to survive. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Letty. You turned off the machine. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. And our uh, friend in Canada, Lou, says uh, one of the best episodes of Trek and still holds up to this day. And I would agree with that. Sure. So, Dan, uh, do you have any comments you want to add? Well, Dana, we got a second message from Pam McClung, and she sent a picture of what she calls the holy grail of Pop-Tarts, those being unfrosted strawberry Pop-Tarts, which she got in Ohio. Apparently, you can still find them somewhere. Then she says, maybe they can be a sponsor. I don't think you've said anything offensive about Pop-Tarts yet. Dana, did, have we said anything? It's kind of odd uh, or hard to believe that we haven't said something negative about... <laughs> 
somebody could be a sponsor. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we've offended every other potential sponsor, right? Except for Photo Bucket. And several states and countries. Yeah. And, yeah. Dana, we did receive a voicemail from Olivia. She's one of our longtime listeners about the Omega Glory. And this is what she had to say. Oh my gosh, you guys had me in stitches and I was driving too. Uh, Y'all made my day. Kirk's speech at the end definitely reminded me that he was a Shakespearean actor and it definitely showed through. The fight scenes were great in that episode, but oh my gosh, the America thing was just so ridiculous and you guys made it so much better. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Thanks, Olivia. But as we have warned before, do not drive and listen to the episode. I agree with Dana. Don't drive and listen to the to the episodes. <laughs> it's very dangerous. We've had other people tell us that they've almost driven off the road and been in accidents. And those are the only ones we've heard from. There could be people that have been in accidents we don't even know about. Can you imagine if like some of these newer cars with self-driving technology just start playing the Damage Gym podcast and the cars <laughs> go careening out of control? And That's what we need to do, Dan. Do you know uh, what's his face that runs Tesla? What's his, uh, Elon Musk? Do I know him personally? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he's a next door neighbor. Yeah. Why don't you go talk to him? Okay. And see if they, you know, the next set of cars that they make that they automatically start playing the Damage Gym podcast. Well, they actually can do an over-the-air update to all the cars that they've ever made. Oh, that's right. So, wow, we could see see thousands of Teslas careening off the road. Maybe even millions. I mean, worldwide. But that's all I've got for tonight, Dana. This Damage Gym podcast is sponsored by PhotoBucket. For a while now, we've been touting PhotoBucket as a perfect place to store all your photo and video memories. We know that many of you have pictures and videos from your adventures across the Star Trek universe. We've told you how PhotoBucket helps keep your memories safe. How PhotoBucket's compression-free backup cloud storage means your pictures and videos won't lose quality over time. PhotoBucket gives you one secure place to store your photo and video memories. PhotoBucket hosts over 10 billion images. 10 billion, Dana. Think of all the people trusting PhotoBucket with their most prized memories memories. PhotoBucket is easy to use, and right now it's even easier to get started. Use the Dammit Gym promo code when you sign up and get one month of PhotoBucket for free. That's a great way to try out PhotoBucket. For a limited time, PhotoBucket is offering one terabyte of data to store all your Star Trek memories for just $5. Go to PhotoBucket.com today and start saving your memories. And the season two, episode 25, Bread and Circuses. I love fresh made bread, Dana. Oh, one of my favorite things. You know, I never cared for circuses. And the circuses now are lame because they won't let, you know, the people in the circus abuse the animals. Yeah, you can't crack the whip at the lion or no. anything. And can't have elephants standing on each other's backs. Or jab them yeah. with sharp things. Yeah, it's just not the same. But the popcorn and... Corn dogs, <laughs> is that a circus thing? Cotton candy is another one. That's it, Dana, cotton candy. Cotton candy and popcorn. Mm. My stomach's turning over just thinking about it. <laughs> Although I, I'm a popcorn fanatic. Really? I See, another thing I've learned about you. We make popcorn, you know, not microwave, but in a kettle. Wow. Easily once a week. And not the Jiffy Pop. I mean, you're talking the real deal. The real deal. Wow. So and I use butter, mm. different seasonings. What's your favorite? I use a mixture of ranch uh, seasoning. Like a powder? So it's not dressing. I'm not pouring dressing on it. <laughs> <laughs> and also like the uh, all-season salt. I got a couple other little secrets I won't give away. Well, Dana, we haven't had the ramble jar out in a few weeks. I got the feeling tonight is going to be a night where we're going to need it. We're several minutes into the show, haven't even, other than mentioning the name of the episode. <laughs> I'm just going to start putting money in right now. I put in uh, 25 bucks before the show started. Oh, you just knew. You like front load. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got to uh... say though, caramel corn. Okay. One more thing. And then I'm going to move on. I love caramel corn, but I love the Chicago blend. I think we talked about this once. Caramel corn with the cheese corn, cheese popcorn. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is, I told you that my wife and I bought two bags of that in Chicago, Garrett's popcorn. I'll throw that name out there. Maybe they'll want to, to be a sponsor for us. Please do. We will say only good things about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We bought two bags of popcorn and uh, took it back to our room. And this is the first time we ever tried it and we started eating it and we finished off that one bag and went out to dinner later, came back. We were halfway through the other bag before my wife said, oh, this was supposed to be for the kids. And I said, well, we can stop and pick up another bag tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was just like heroin. I couldn't stop. So good. That stuff is so good. Okay, Garrett's Popcorn, Chicago, be a sponsor. We won't even mention how if you eat too much of it, you're going to need the North Shore adult diapers. We won't even say that. <laughs> yeah. We will not come out of our mouths. And you can go on to uh, tasteofchicago.com and get uh, Garrett's Popcorn by the bucket load. And or you can also get a Lou Malmati's Pizza, my favorite pizza. So, Dana, hold on now. <laughs> what I'm hearing you say is you could get dinner and dessert delivered to your house from Chicago. That's right. And they even, I mean, they have got pies. They've got Italian beef. They've got everything. All right. I'm doing it. Okay. So bread and circuses. It's not popcorn and circuses. Let's, let's, let's move on. Yeah. Okay, so the show starts out, we see the Enterprise dodging space debris. Did they have that in the original episode? No, that had to be added in the remastered. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because it looked like computer-generated on the remastered version. And they determined the debris to be from the SS Beagle. I guess the, if it had been the SS Chihuahua, it would have been much smaller debris. <laughs> So, I mean, who would name something Beagle? When they said the Beagle, I was thinking about the Apollo space program. One of the lunar modules, I believe it was the lunar module, was named the Beagle. I thought it was Snoopy. Okay, well, wasn't he a Beagle? <laughs> <laughs> so the Beagle... Not the Snoopy. ...was a merchant ship that had gone missing six years before. Didn't just another episode have a ship that had been missing for six years? Yeah. I think that's why it's a five-year mission, because you go six, good chance you're going to go missing. <laughs> I think that's it. Gotta be. Well, we're never going to get through this episode, so. This may be a two-parter. So Spock comments that the commanding officer was someone Kirk knew, R.M. Merrick. Spock is also able to determine there are no bodies in the debris from the spaceship. Mm -hmm. So they assume the crew managed to get off the ship before it was destroyed. Oh, thank goodness. Now, wait, did, didn't we hear this scenario just recently? It seems vaguely familiar. Yeah, this does have some recycled plot points, Dana. It definitely does. You're right. Spock then determines the debris originated from the vicinity of N Planet 8924. <laughs> Why did they just give it a name, Dana? I <laughs> So as they approach the planet, the planet looks a lot like Earth. No, <laughs> this has never happened before. Chekhov says, it's a Class M planet. It, it, it is Class M planet, Captain. Was that any better? Oh, it's horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> and Spock says, it is somewhat similar to Earth. And Kirk says, yeah, somewhat, but it's not like Earth. And Spock goes on to say that in size and continent structure, it is a lot like Earth. Kirk seems bothered by this. Yeah. Like, so, and then... Uhura plays a broadcast from the planet in a black and white video format that shows guards pulling men from buildings and referring to them as slaves. Then there's a fight scene that is like gladiators. In one battle, a Roman gladiator defeats and kills a barbarian type guy. And then the casualty, as they learn, is named William B. Harrison, whom Spock identifies as the Beagle's flight officer. I thought he was a president. That's William Howard Taft. Yeah, what was Harrison's first name? <laughs> Benjamin. Wasn't it Benjamin, Benjamin Harrison? Benjamin Harrison. All right. We're learning history here, Dana. Or destroying it, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it did remind me, the opening reminded me a little bit of the newsreels that we saw in Patterns of Force. Yeah, yeah, it did. So once again, a recycled plot point. But a completely different story. A completely 100%, like 180 degrees different. Maybe even more, maybe 360 degrees different. <laughs> yeah, it's so different, it came right back to being the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got that math part right, Dana. We should be proud of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We should just drop the mic now. That's it, we're done, we're done, people. <laughs> oh, you can hear the people clapping already. So, uh... <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so Kirk assembles a landing party to go to the surface and investigate the planet. Okay, I have a question, Dana. <laughs> they had a newsreel. Yeah. They saw how people were dressed. Yeah. Why didn't they get the ship stores and the sweatshop that we've already talked about in the innards of the Enterprise working on just getting some costumes? Yeah, I mean, do you go down as the slaves or do you go down as the Romans? Well, you could go down as one of each, you know? So they beam down on a rock formation. Spock comments that the atmosphere is amazingly similar to 20th century Earth, complete with pollution, and McCoy calls it smog. I had no idea you were that much of a historian, Doctor. I am not, Mr. Spock. I was simply trying to stop you from giving us a whole lecture on the subject. They move forward, and McCoy says, just once, I'd like to be able to land someplace and say, behold, I am the Archangel Gabriel. And Spock says, I fail to see the humor in the situation, Doctor. And McCoy says, naturally, you could hardly claim to be an angel with those pointed ears, Mr. Spock, but say you landed in someplace with a pitchfork 
Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get Mabinga right then and yeah. there. Although I do have something to say about this opening. There, <laughs> I know we're not, we're never going to make it through the episode, but I thought it was interesting. There is dialogue that happens before the name of the episode is displayed on the screen. This is only the second time this has happened in all of the original series. The other one was in a private little war. Oh wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, see, it's these little things, Dana, that keeps me employed on this podcast. So Kirk says the SS Beagle was the first ship to make a survey of the star sector when it disappeared and Spock says then the prime directive is in full force captain no identification of self omission no interference with the social development of said planet no references to space or the fact that there are other worlds or more advanced civilizations let's go Dana <laughs> isn't it funny how no one saw the irony <laughs> in this <laughs> Yeah, I like that they, they know what the Prime Directive is and they're able to recite it, but how often do they follow it is another thing. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you think at least Spock would have said, well, you know, actually, Captain, uh, this is quite interesting because we've never followed it before. Why are we following <laughs> yeah. it now? So suddenly a shot rings out and they're told not to move. Men come out in gray sweatshirts and shorts. Gym class must have been in session, I'm guessing. <laughs> So Kirk tries to explain that they come from another province. One of the men looks at Spock and says, What do you call those? I call them ears. Trying to be funny. Never. I love that exchange. A little bit of humor in there. Yeah, it was great. So these uh, guys in the gym outfits, they take them towards their camp, and an old guy comes out to greet them. And the younger guy goes up to the older guy and says that uh, he thought that they should kill them as they might be Roman. But the old guy disagrees, saying that their way is peace. So they invite them into their camp. And then we get the captain's log, and he says, uh, but they, they are creatures of a heavily industrialized 20th century type planet, very much like Earth. An amazing example of Hodgkin's law of parallel planet development. Ah, God, I got a hard time with this, Dana. Why? Again, not the first time we've heard this or seen it, but come on. Parallel universe theory should be thrown out. And, and the other thing is, a little earlier, when the landing party first encounters the slaves who have the guns, Spock says something like, interesting, you know, English is being used. And this is the first time they ever mentioned English in any of the episodes, like being surprised that the aliens are speaking English. How come no one was surprised in any of the other episodes? Like, holy crap, these aliens are speaking English. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we see the inside of the cave where the people are hiding. Spock is flipping through magazines. Kirk is talking to the older guy and we learn his name is Septimus. I think his cousin Sepsis. <laughs> Yuck. So Kirk is talking to this older guy, Septimus, and he says he has not heard of the arrival of men like Kirk and his crew. Kirk kind of presses on, surely you've heard the rumors of men who came from the sky or other worlds. Septimus says, there are no other worlds. The stars in the sky are just lights shining through from heaven. Blessed be the sun. Kirk asks if Septimus and his people can help them find Merrick, and Septimus seems alarmed. So Flavius steps up. He's the younger guy that was the one that kind of captured Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Flavius says, if you are friends with Mericus, then you are no friends of ours. And Septimus says that Mericus came into power about five years ago. Kirk tries to explain that they have laws that prevent them from interfering with their culture. What? Really? No. <laughs> this is the first time I've heard of this, Dana. <laughs> It's just a rumor, but supposedly we have laws. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk says, and if Merrick is Merrickus, then he has violated that law. Kirk asks for help to get to the truth, and Septimus steps aside with his people to discuss. So after a brief moment, uh, Septimus returns with his people, and he says they will give them clothing to blend in, and Flavius will guide them. So they go out. They were supposed to go out at dark, but it seemed awful bright when they go out. On the trail to the city, Kirk asks Flavius if he was a slave. Flavius explains he was once the most successful gladiator on the province, Flavius Maximus. He's got a brother named Flavor Flavius. <laughs> Flavor Flav, yeah, that's it. Who's got the sundial around his neck? <laughs> oh my God, wouldn't that be hilarious to see him go 
come out. That would be. <laughs> Big sundial around his neck. And if any of our listeners don't know who Flavor Flav was, just Google him and you'll see. Kirk says there's more he'd like to know, but just then machine gun fire sprays the trees they are hiding behind. These guards come up and tell them to come out with their hands in the air. And these guards have like motorcycle helmets on. Yeah, I think those uniforms were then used in the show Chips. The helmets at least. Yeah, maybe even the boots. Oh yeah, they had the boots. Yeah, that's right. So as they come down the hill at gunpoint, one of the guards recognizes Flavius and Flavius tries to attack him and is knocked down. Then the guard looks at Spock and pulls his cap off that he's wearing. Oh, he wore a cap to try to hide his ears? Yeah. Wow, that's never been seen before in Star Trek. By the way, where did he get that cap? I was thinking about this when I was watching the show. No one else has a cap. It didn't look like a cold climate area where they'd need a stocking cap. No, and it didn't look like rags. I mean, they should have just tied something around his head, you know. So then the guard looks at Spock and he pulls off the cap he's wearing and he says, not a slave. He says, you're a barbarian. He says, it's been a long time since I've seen a barbarian die in the arena. As Kirk delivers his captain's log, we see images of earth buildings and he says, a great city like Rome with automobiles. Astonishing similarities to 20th century earth. Hold on. When they were showing the images, did you notice the building that looked like it had a dome on the top of it? Yes. If you pause it, you can clearly read Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Oh, really? Totally took me out of the episode when I saw that. So we see a jail as guards lead the crew and Spock and McCoy are carrying Flavius. Kirk tells the guard he wants to speak to Americus. And the guard laughs and Kirk says, I'm an old friend, Jim Kirk. And he says, and if I am an old friend, won't Americus be upset that you didn't tell him? Well, hold on. Haven't we heard this one before too, Dana? <laughs> <laughs> Did he use that line before? I think so. I don't remember where, but it sounded very familiar. So in the cell, Kirk asks Flavius about whether or not there has always been discontent and runaways. Flavius says long ago there were rebellions, but as time passed, the slaves gained more rights. They received rights to medicine and government payments in their old age. Spock says, fascinating. Slavery evolved into an institution. McCoy says, it's quite logical. And Spock replies, doctor, if I were able to show emotion. Your new infatuation with that term would begin to annoy me. And McCoy walks away from Flavius and goes to Spock. And he says, what term? Logic? Medical men are trained in logic, Mr. Spock. Really, doctor? I had no idea they were trained. Watching you, I assumed it was trial and error. <laughs> oh my God, that was funny. Yeah, these two in this episode, they're going at it. So Flavius asks Kirk, are they enemies? <laughs> Pointing to Spock and McCoy. And Kirk says, I'm not sure they are sure. The guards come and take uh, Flavius out to the arena. And when Flavius is gone, the guard tells Kirk, Spock, and McCoy to come with him. And Kirk looks at the guards outside the cell and says, uh, there's three on three. The odds could be in our favor. I mean, he kind of whispers it, right, to the other guys. But come on. Those guards would have heard that, Dana. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're staying like three feet away. Yeah, they would have heard it, yeah. And then he tells McCoy, he says that he's not feeling well. McCoy, like, looks at him like, what? And then he takes a second, like, catches on. Then he starts to show, like, stomach pain. And the two guards come in to help him. Spock does the Vulcan nerve pinch on one. Kirk steps on the one guard's foot and then punches him in the stomach and karate chops him in the back. Glad we got a karate chop in there. Then McCoy throws a punch at the last guard. And then when the guard falls back, he falls on a cot. Coy steps forward and he does a karate chop on the neck. So two karate chops in one scene, both were weak. So as they go to leave the cell, someone says, well done, Jim. We see a blonde haired man next to another man and it's Merrick. Kirk steps forward and says, Captain Merrick, isn't it? Yes, it's me. And this is our pro-counsel, Claudius Marcus. Merrick says, don't judge me before you know the facts. Come on, we can talk freely here. The pro-counsel knows who and what we are. And then they're let out of the jail area. So they enter a room with a cement floor and there's animal skins on the floor. Curtains are red and some walls are purple. And there's a bed that has a zebra pattern and red pillows behind them. Then there's a pretty blonde woman that walks up and she's serving them wine, I think it is. Kirk finally asks, uh, what happened? And Merrick says, we had meteor damage, Jim. I went ashore with a landing party to look for indium. Ir iridium, maybe? Yeah, sure, that too. <laughs> 
He says, and I met this gentleman. He points to the proconsul. He convinced me it would be unfair to this world to carry word of their existence elsewhere. So I made the decision to stay. Kirk says, well, what happened to your crew? Did they voluntarily beam down? Did they come ashore? And Merrick looks a little sheepish, doesn't directly answer, just says, this is an ordered world, Jim, a conservative world based on time-honored Roman strengths and virtues, like slavery and stoning people to death. <laughs> Spock comments that this is very interesting and given the conservative empire, quite understandable. McCoy just about has a seizure. He says, you know, are you out of your head? Spock says, I said I understood it, you stupid fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Merrick says, as for his men... Those that could adapt are still alive. Those that couldn't are dead. And Kirk can't believe he's sent his own men into the arenas. Merrick says, you're going to order your own people into the arena. Kirk says, you really think I'll bring my people down here? Claudius holds out Kirk's communicator. He says, I believe you'd do anything rather than see your two friends here put to a slow death. He hands Kirk the communicator. And Kirk calls the ship and Scotty answers. Kirk says, stand by and closes the communicator. Kirk says, if I brought down a hundred of them armed with phasers. Claudius says you could probably defeat the combined armies of our entire empire and violate your oath regarding non-interference with other societies. The what? What what oath is he talking about? (laughs) The the oath where they keep saying men would rather die than break. But yet they always seem to break it when they need to. It's more like bend. Right. Well, it's funny that that guy knows so much about it. Mericus must have told Claudius everything, you know, about the Federation and the Prime Directive and phasers. I mean, right? Oh, yeah. He just spilled all the beans. Right. Merrick says, Jim, you've already started a message. Your engineer is waiting. What are you going to do? And so Kirk opens up the communicator again and says, Scotty, sorry to keep you waiting. Scotty says, we're beginning to get concerned, Captain. You're a bit overdue. I'm getting better every time. Yeah, I like the over. That was good. Claudia says, order your officers to come down. And Kirk says, condition green, all well. Kirk out. He closes the communicator. And Claudius yells, guards, take them. Prepare them for the games. Merrick says, oh, that was stupid, Jim. This is not an academy training test. This is for real. They're taking you to die. So next we see the Enterprise circling the planet. Scotty says, but they have used the code term condition green, which means they're in trouble. But it also prohibits my taking any action. So he orders Chekhov to pinpoint power source locations on the planet. Chekhov says, that may take some time, sir, because I just learned Scottish myself. (laughs) (laughs) Chekhov says, that may take some time. Scotty says, let it take time, lad. They're in trouble, and I'm under orders not to interfere. However, no order can stop me from frightening them. May do no good, but it may suggest to someone just what a starship can really do. While Scotty considers his options, let's look at the options you have for backing up your photos and videos. Did you know the PhotoBucket app actually backs up your photos and videos for you? The app automatically backs up every photo and video you take on your smartphone while syncing it all to your desktop, tablet, and other devices. No more having to worry about your phone's memory being full. PhotoBucket takes care of that for you, so you never have to worry if you'll have enough space on your phone to take pictures at the next Star Trek convention. All photo apps are not created equal. PhotoBucket wants to make the process of saving your images as simple as possible. Whether your phone is Android or iOS, the app will make saving your pictures work like magic. With the option to have one terabyte of storage to back up your pictures, it's a logical choice, Dan. Sign up today. Go to PhotoBucket.com and see all the exciting features that will help you preserve your precious memories. Now let's get back to the planet to see what Kirk's options are. So back on the planet, we see the arena and we see a cameraman and another guy looks like the producer on the floor or something. And they look up at another camera and an announcer starts speaking and the guy's like, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, live and direct from City Arena. And in color, we bring you Name the Winner, brought to you tonight by your Jupiter 8 dealers from coast to coast. In just moments, tonight's first heat. We see Claudius, Maricus, and Kirk enter. 
They sit up on a raised platform. Across the room, we see McCoy and Spock with guards and old Roman centurion gear holding machine guns on them. I like the juxtaposition there. Yeah, it was it was interesting. The announcer announces the new fighters. The two men enter from the other side, and one of them is Flavius. Oh, oh. We see the sound man turning up the volume on the crowd sounds. It was great. He had like cheer and applause and stuff on the on the dials. Well, and just like at that time, Dana, in the 60s, no shows had live audiences, right? Even the ones that sounded like they had a live audience, they were all like laugh tracks and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they were all shot on sets. And- Isn't that weird? that we would have had to have a cue when to laugh at something. Yeah. So we see that Flavius sees Spock and McCoy, and it's obvious he recognizes them. Flavius is concerned about having to fight McCoy and Spock, the one gladiator who's named Achilles. Achilles goes after Spock. Flavius reluctantly goes after McCoy, but you can see it's kind of half-hearted. Yeah. Spock holds his own against Achilles. At one point, Spock states, I am able to defeat you. One of the guards watching Flavius and McCoy gets a whip out, and he whips Flavius, and he says, fight you two. You bring this network's ratings down, Flavius, and we'll do a special on you. That doesn't sound good. Do, do you think that was a commentary on how maybe the cast and the crew and the writers and the producers of Star Trek felt about NBC and their commitment or maybe lack of to the show? I, I think it was, uh, there's a lot of that in here. There's even something more heavy handed later on. So Okay. I don't know if you noticed, but McCoy's shield looks like a Weber grill lid that's painted blue. It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they just got it off the, uh, you know, the back lot where they do the cookouts and maybe spray painted it. It did not look like a shield. Flavius starts after him with a little bit more enthusiasm. In the long shot, we see Spock's stunt double. The Frankenstein wig was back, Dan. <laughs> did you notice he had like the flat head? Yeah. <laughs> so Flavius gets whipped again and, he's, and he says uh, to McCoy, at least defend yourself. And McCoy yells, I am defending myself. <laughs> <laughs> So Flavius goes after him again, and Claudius turns to Kirk and says, Admit it. You find these games frightening, revolting. And Kirk tries to act real nonchalant. He says, Proconsul, in some parts of the galaxy, I have seen forms of entertainment that make this look like a folk dance. And I kind of wonder uh, what kind of forms of entertainment he's talking about, Dan. <laughs> So Claudius says, certain this isn't different, Captain? Those are your men dying, not strangers. Kirk says, I've had to select men to die before so that others could be saved. Well, that's absolutely true. And we have a count that <laughs> illustrates that. They pull out to like a medium shot and we see McCoy's stunt double. Dan, the dude is easily 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> He's got like sandy brown hair and a bald spot. <laughs> They didn't even try, Dana. I think at this point, it's the end of the second season. They're like, ah, screw it. Just whoever, get somebody from the commissary in here as yeah. long as we don't have to pay him. And Dana, as they're fighting, Achilles yells to Spock, fight, you pointed ear freak. And McCoy yells over, you tell him, buster. <laughs> Love that line. Spock's ears get brought up at least three times in this episode. Yeah. Then Spock defeats Achilles. He like does a quick move and like hits him in the face and he goes to help McCoy. He pushes Flavius back, then getting behind him, he does a Vulcan nerve pinch on him. So Spock looks to Kirk, but the guards swarm him before anyone can act. Finally, Merrick says, take them back to their cage. Claudius seems disappointed, then tells Kirk, it won't go easy on them, Captain, nor will it for you. And then he orders Kirk taken to his quarters. So we see Kirk led into Claudius's quarters again. And he's looking around when the blonde woman comes through again, and she says uh, she was told to wait for him. So Kirk seems quite stunned by her, and uh, she introduces herself as Drusilla. So uh, she says she's pro-council's slave for this evening i was told i am your slave command me <laughs> couldn't get any more blatant <laughs> yeah. i mean we're not even making this up <laughs> yeah this is word for word you know there was a book written in 2015 called the autobiography of james t kirk the authors state that drusilla gave birth to kirk's son and his name was eugenio what kind of name is that are you serious eugenio eugenio <laughs> <Maybe> italian <laughs> Well, it's Roman, Italian, Eugene. So Kirk seems quite stunned. Uh, and he calls out to the pro-council saying, it won't work. I might die, but you won't get any entertainment out of me. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Drusilla comes up to him and says, we are alone. I would not lie to the one who owns me. Uh, in the jail cell, we see Spock attempting to bend the bars. Hold on. We've never seen that before either, Dana. <laughs> McCoy says, I know we've uh, had our disagreements. 
maybe they're jokes. I don't know. As Jim says, we're not often sure ourselves sometimes. But uh, what I'm trying to say is... Doctor, I'm seeking a means of escape. Will you please be brief? Well, what I'm trying to say is you saved my life in the arena. Yes, that's quite true. I'm trying to thank you, you pointed-eared hobgoblin. So, Dana, once again, the ears come up. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think we should keep account of that. How many times McCoy alone says that? McCoy blows up, says, do you know why you're not afraid to die, Spock? Says, you're more afraid of living. Each day you stay alive is just one more day you might slip and let your human half peek out. Spock looks away and he's obviously appears to be affected by McCoy's words. Yeah. McCoy says, that's it, isn't it? Insecurity. Why, you wouldn't know what to do with a genuine, warm, decent feeling. And after a moment, Spock looks back at McCoy and says, really, Doc? I mean, this interaction between those two gives us a good indication of the relationship between these two. I liked it. I thought that part of this episode was really well written. So back in Claudius's quarters, we see Drusilla is pouring wine for Kirk. She says, I am here to please you. Kirk says, I've been in some strange worlds with some strange customs. Perhaps this is torture? And Drusilla moves closer to him and says, I do not wish you tortured in any way. And then they kiss. God, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, at the first sign of pain you will tell me oh Kirk my says, god <laughs> Kirk says you'll be the first to know kiss again and the camera moves up to like the candle and then it dissolves to later we see Kirk asleep on a bed Claudius wakes him up and apologizes for being late and says one of the communicators is missing and he suggests that Drusilla might have taken it Merrick enters and Claudius orders Kirk searched Merrick searches him for the communicator but doesn't find it on Kirk he does about a good of a search as I've seen TSA people do at the airport, which is not very good. Have you ever been strip searched? I mean, has that ever happened? <laughs> <laughs> nope. I did get pulled aside into a side room once. Really? It was uh, at Midway Airport. And what happened? There was two bags. One was identical to mine and they pulled up this one and it had something in it. I don't know what it was. They thought it was mine. They pulled it off the thing and said, is this yours? And I said, yeah. So they said, please step with us into this other room. Oh boy. And so they set it on the table. It was funny because there was this one female person there and she said, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> and I was like, what's that mean? Yeah, what did, <laughs> what did that mean? She escorted me into the room with another guy and then she just stood back and this other guy came up and started going through the suitcase. And I'm looking at the suitcase and I go, that's not my suitcase. And they said, you said it was. And then the guy looks at the tag and says, is your name, you know, whatever. And I said, no, my name's Dana Smith. And then they bring in my bag and they said is this yours and i said yeah and you're like please don't open it please don't open it <laughs> yeah. all the garrett's popcorn's gonna fall out yeah. <laughs> potentially some uh, north shore diapers that i was gonna wear on the plane so i could keep eating the popcorn <laughs> yeah they said, okay, you can go. Now, this part kind of gets me. Kirk uh, asked for an explanation from Claudius, and Claudius says, because you are a man, I owe you that. And then he says, you must die soon. And because you are a man, and then he dismisses Merrick, and I thought things were going to get kind of freaky, and Merrick kind of gets a sour look on his face, and he leaves. Claudius says, because you are a man, he says, I gave you some last hours as a man. Oh, so it, he does indeed, like, confirm our suspicions. Yeah, and Claudius orders the guards to take Kirk to the arena. So we go back to the arena. Kirk is standing in front of a big guard in a Roman centurion uniform. Claudius says, a quick single thrust. That's all it took for me earlier. With Drusilla. The guard acknowledges, and the guard tells Kirk, don't move, you'll only die harder. <laughs> I expected Bruce Willis to show up at this point. <laughs> Just then, Flavius comes out and says, fight me. And the guards turn toward Flavius, and the guard just shoots Flavius. Kirk, he knocks down one of the other guards, and he grabs a machine gun. And just then, Chekhov targets the power grid, and the room goes into darkness. Machine guns fire as Kirk runs, but none of them, none of the bullets hit him. No, of course they don't, no. Kirk runs into the cell area, and he takes the machine gun and fires at the lock at close range. In real life, McCoy, Spock, Kirk, the cameraman... <laughs> Everybody would have been like peppered with shrapnel <laughs> and the door would still be locked. <laughs> and when he opens the door, there's no absolutely no damage to the lock. None whatsoever. Guards come in from both sides and Claudius orders them to use swords as they are in each other's line of fire. So Merrick comes up and Claudius says, watch and see how men die. The guards attack with swords. Kirk knocks a sword out of one of the guards' hand and Spock picks up a sword. But I have a question. Mm -hmm. Kirk still had the machine gun. 
gun. Yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, he could have mowed down the guys that were first coming at him. Yeah. The other guys are coming at him with swords now. Yeah, because he just used the machine gun to like block one guy. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't make sense. And right at the same time, McCoy hightails it back into the cell. He's like, <laughs> screw this, man. I'm out of here. And Merrick pulls up the missing communicator and he opens it up and says three to beam. And then he's stabbed by Claudius. Right in the back. McCoy comes out of the cell during the fight and he throws a mattress at one of the guards <laughs> and then he retreats back into the cell. He's like, well, if pillows worked in an earlier episode, the mattress is definitely going to take care of all these guys. And it did knock the guard down he threw it at. Merrick steps forward and as he's dying, he tosses the communicator into the cell with Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And just as the guards grab their guns, the three men beam up as the guards fire on them. So back on the ship, Kirk is speaking into the tricorder and it's captain's log, stardate 4041.7. Note, commendation, engineer officer Scott, despite enormous temptation and strong personal feelings, he obeyed the prime directive. That makes one of us. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe he can tell us how he did it because I don't even know how to do that. Kirk goes on, says his temporary blackout of the city below resulted in no interference with the society and yet saved the lives of myself and the landing party. And Scott smiles and says, thank you, Captain. And Scott leaves McCoy and Spock enter the bridge. Kirk says, gentlemen. And McCoy says, Captain, I see on your report Flavius was killed. He says, I'm sorry. I like that huge sun worshiper. And Spock says, I wish we could have examined their belief of this more closely. It seems illogical for a sun worshiper to develop a philosophy of total brotherhood. Sun worship is usually a primitive superstitious religion. And Uhura was listening in and she stands up and says, I'm afraid you have it all wrong, Mr. Spock, all of you. Don't you understand? It's not the sun up in the sky. It's the son of God. So Kirk says, Caesar and Christ, they had them both. And the word is spreading only now. Then he looks at Chekhov and says, Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead warp factor one. And that's how the show ends, Dan. So, Dana, you have something about one of the actors in the show. Yeah, Dan. Ian Wolfe, who played Septimus, he also shows up in the third season in All Our Yesterdays. He was born in 1896 and served in World War I. Wow. During his career, he made over 200 films and made-for-TV movies. He showed up in Alfred Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent, he, uh, Ilya Kazan's Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, he showed up in Witness for the Prosecution, also Miracle of the Bells, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and George Lucas's film THX 1138. Wow, I didn't know that. He died at age 95 in 1992, and he was the last surviving Star Trek actor to have been born in the 19th century. Wow, I wonder if we can get him on the show. Yeah, if we hold a seance. <laughs> oh, Dana, <laughs> that is a brilliant idea. Okay, look, here's, here's what we do. We find, we find a medium who's willing to join us on a Zoom call. So we find this medium, maybe a few other fans from the show. Yeah. We get the we get the medium to do a seance, and we try to reach this guy. Why don't we just try to reach Leonard Nimoy, or if we're going to do a seance? They're going to be too busy, Dana. They're not going <laughs> to. Oh, you're saying because this guy was old when he died. He's, you know, doesn't matter. Well, he's just not a star in the show. You're not going to get the, it's like if you go to a convention, you're not going to be able to just talk to William Shatner. Well, he's not dead yet. Well, he might be. We don't know. <laughs> you're not just going to be able to talk to James Dewan, you know, <laughs> but you might talk to the guy who played the guy who stood behind somebody by the transporter. You know what I'm saying? Okay, look, here's the deal. I will reach out to some mediums and we'll see what we can get, right? Sure. I usually take a large, but, you know. <laughs> I think it would be hilarious, Dana. Hilarious. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. Yeah. Okay, Dan, do you have anything about any of the actors or anything else you want to talk about the show? Yeah, Logan Ramsey, who played Claudius, kind of an interesting little factoid. His father was a naval officer when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. His father was stationed at Pearl Harbor, and he saw one of the Japanese zeros coming into Pearl Harbor and dropping a bomb. And he made the what's now the famous radio call, Air Raid Pearl Harbor. This is no drill. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you know, but Logan Ramsey usually played a bad guy or kind of a jerk or something on many shows. Mm -hmm. He uh, appeared in Man from Uncle and Big Valley. And he also shows up in the Monkees movie, Head. Oh, we talked about that probably a year ago. Yeah. Still haven't seen it. One of his last films was Bill Murray's movie Scrooged. Oh, really? Yeah. One other interesting thing, when they show him wearing the tunic and you can see an insignia on the tunic that looks like maybe it's a Roman insignia of some kind, it 
it actually is the family crest of William Shakespeare. Wow. Dan, do you want to talk about uh, themes and dilemmas of this episode? Yeah, Dana, for me, it seems like as a culture that we are fixated on reality TV, you know, especially shows that depict conflict and pain. You know, we've moved from Jerry Springer to the Kardashians to the Real Housewives to who knows what other garbage is on now. So what is that say about us as a society? You know, is schadenfreude part of the human condition? I mean, do you think it's really part of the human condition that we get joy from seeing others suffer and being humiliated? People love to see the arguing. People, you know, love to see that type of thing, the competition where they, they feel like it's a real kind of bare bones type of thing. There, there's tons of shows like that on now. Shows where people make fun of other people constantly. And, and apparently that's what people want. I mean, look at just look at sports. You know, as much as they've tried to make football safer, there are still some tremendous hits. Yeah. And, you know, people get knocked out of games and people get injured, you know, and get terrible injuries. And when you go to work on Monday, that's all people talk about is the injuries. Or, or what about MMA, where people actually have died? Yeah. And this is a cage that they are showing on television that's no different, really, as far as I can see, except for weapons than like gladiatorial games. I, I hate that stuff. Oh, so do I. But it is extremely popular to see yeah. two people beat the living crap out of each other. You cannot tell me that there is no brain injury involved in this, even if the person is winning. I, I don't know. I think it says a lot about us as a culture. And it's not good what it says. Well, what about you, Dana? What about a dilemma that you saw? Well, Dan, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot during the show. It's the prime directive again. How do we keep from interfering with society? But it, just being there, you know, you, you break a branch as you're walking by it and the tree dies. You know, I mean, does that affect society? Do you, you know, you kill a bug or you run into these people. Right. How can you not have some kind of influence on them? And so, you know, it comes down to Kirk having to make the decision because they're telling him bring his crew down and or watch your friends die. I mean, really, it'd be a terrible decision to make, but you would have to kill your friends and die yourself rather than bringing your whole crew down 400 people, right? You're going to sacrifice 400 people for three. Yeah, that was the Kirk's dilemma. But I mean, it's again, the big thing is the prime directive again. So Dana, what's the best part of this episode for you? Scotty's in charge on the ship right away. When I saw that, I was like, yes, made me happy. How about you, Dan? Do you have a best part? Yeah, I think this episode might be the absolute pinnacle of of the Spock-McCoy repartee. You know, they're just back and forth. This episode was chock full of it. Yeah, it really was. That's a good point. I didn't have that, but I, I should have put that down. It should have. <laughs> How about another best part for you, Dana? The whole TV show landscape thing, the the way they did the canned audience and the, you know, the applause and the, you know, in color, you know, it's just, it was, I got a kick out of that because they're making fun of themselves, essentially. Do you have another best part? One of the best parts for me, Dana, was the name of the episode, Bread and Circuses. It is actually an ancient Roman saying. And what it means is that if you provide some distraction to the people, you know, making sure they have food and entertainment, then they're just going to be complacent and not ask their leaders to do any more. And I think it's kind of a parallel in some ways to modern day and the culture in which we live. I was wondering what that title meant and I meant to look it up, at, but I knew you would. But I, I'm so glad you explained that to me because I, I didn't understand that's and I think you're right. I think that's how society, I don't know about other societies, but it, uh, American culture is looked at sometimes as we give them, you know, food, entertainment, you know, got the internet now, what more do the people need? Yeah, the actual Roman saying is panic at Circensis. Now, someone's going to correct me on that. How about another best part for you? I did kind of like the mix of old Roman world and 20th century, you know, with the cool looking car that they showed and the magazine and the costumes and stuff. It was it was humorous in some ways and intriguing in others. Do you have a last one for the best category? I do, Dana. The Prime Directive, we finally get it quoted to us, at least part of it. We now have real evidence of what Kirk has been violating this entire time. <laughs> Oh, you know we're going to get in trouble for saying that. Oh, so. yeah, we will, but that's okay. How about a worst part for you? McCoy stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> I would think even back in the 60s on a, a, a bad 13-inch black and white television, you'd go, who the hell is that? Where'd that guy come from? <laughs> you know? So it was just so bad. Dan, do you have a worst part? Hodgkin's law of parallel planetary development. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, it is used as an easy way to explain Earth-like cultures on alien planets, so it's a clever story device, but it doesn't make much sense. And we've seen it in this episode. We saw the Omega Glory, in which it was truly ridiculous. And then in Miri, where they I think they call the planet Earth 2 or refer to it as Earth 2 or something like that. Something like that, yeah. How about a worst part for you? I didn't understand Merrick's change of heart with taking the communicator and helping Kirk. There was I didn't see the motivation other than Claudius kicking him out of the room. He'd been there for five years and he seemed to be all in. So it just seemed odd that he would all of a sudden change. So how about you? Do you have another worst part? I'd say it's related. The relationship between the proconsul and Merrickus is never explained and none of it makes any sense to me. So Dana, what happened on this day in history? Dan, you're going to be glad to hear that the uh, songs have changed for both the U.S. and the U.K. Oh, good, Dana. <laughs> so uh, one of my favorite songs of all time, it was number one on March 15th, 1968. It was Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Nice. In the U.K., the number one song was Legend of Xanadu by Dave D., Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dana, I, I was really hoping there'd be a change in the U.K because Cinderella Rockefeller was so bad. But just what you read there does not give me confidence <laughs> that it's going to be any better than that song. Yeah, I meant to try to find that and listen to it, but I never did. So I'll have to check it out this week. Also on this day, uh, Life Magazine calls Jimi Hendrix the most spectacular guitarist in the world. Wow. The stuff he was doing was blowing everybody away. So I mean, to think it changed the way rock moved forward. The 1968 NCAA Division I men's ice hockey tournament was won by the University of Denver Pioneers, right down the road from me, for the fourth time, defeating the University of North Dakota Fighting Hawks 4-0 at the tournament finals in Duluth, Minnesota. Throw this in March 14th, Dan, the nationwide introduction of the child-proof cap for medicines was announced at a news conference in Chicago three days before the start of the National Poison Prevention Week. The new type of container had been developed in Canada and been tested in Tacoma, Washington during 1967, where local pediatricians had de determined that their patients couldn't open the bottle unless they knew to push down the cap before it could be turned. The Journal of American Pediatric Society reported in its most recent journal that the number of children treated for serious poisoning at one Tacoma hospital over a six-month period had decreased from 50 to only three. I still can't get into those things. <laughs> <laughs> Got anything else for us, Dana? No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Dana, don't wait for the 23rd century to save your important photos. The future is here now. PhotoBucket is the photo-saving tool everyone has been looking for. With PhotoBucket, you can easily upload, store, and organize all your Star Trek memories in one secure place. Share your amazing convention moments, cosplay triumphs, and even those hilarious behind-the-scenes bloopers with fellow fans around the galaxy. But that's not all. PhotoBucket goes beyond just photos. You can create stunning Star Trek-themed albums, add captions and tags, and even even create personalized slideshows that will make Captain Kirk himself Orion Green with envy. And here's the best part. PhotoBucket integrates seamlessly with all your favorite social media platforms. Share your adventures and let your Star Trek spirit shine across the entire universe. Right now, PhotoBucket is offering one terabyte of storage for only $5 a month. Don't wait because the final frontier awaits your creativity. Visit PhotoBucket.com now and unlock a universe of possibilities. So, Dan, we've come to the counts. Yeah. Nothing changed. Nothing. Nothing, Dana. <laughs> we had so many opportunities here, Dana. I mean, a ripped shirt during a fight with swords and gladiators? Come on. I was sure it was going to happen. You know, McCoy could have said, I'm a doctor, not a gladiator. I don't think Kirk violated the prime directive. I, I think you're right. Not in this case. Now, we are working on adding who else has commanded the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have a group of people working on that for us. Nice. Which is good because we'd never get through it. Okay, what's up next week, Dan? Dana? It's an exciting episode because it's the last episode of season two called Assignment Earth. Hey, Dan, it was a blast getting together with you and talking about Star Trek once again. And thanks to all our listeners for writing in and commenting. And don't forget that we do have a phone number you can call in on. So, Dan, what is that phone number again? The phone number is 509-676-6298. We can't put every call 
in every episode that we do, but we do like to get a few in every week. So if you want to give us a call, please do so. And we'll do our best to get you on the podcast. Once again, thanks for everybody's input and thanks for listening. We really appreciate all the support. Dan, until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. You can also call the Damn It Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the last episode of Season 2, Assignment Earth. Enjoy the rest of your week, and until we meet again, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.